Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our city campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world. We are smack bang in the middle of a series looking at the values of the church. Um, If you've been with us, you'll know. If you haven't, then you can find out more. Uh, We are in a a season of just sharing the vision that we believe God has called us into for the next seven years, which we're calling Towards 100. The Church Gateway Baptist turns 100 in seven years' time, 2028. So we've got a whole bunch of things that we believe God is calling us into, uh, and we are praying into those. And part of that journey and process over the last couple of years as we've been seeking God and discerning what He's got for us uh, has been... uh, around our values and creating five values, uh, distilling five values of who we are as a community. And so we're teaching through those uh, over the coming uh, weeks, or we have been teaching through those. And uh, the last two weeks, uh, we started off uh, actually, we had a flood in between, so we, uh, so we did hit pause for a week there. Um, it's been rock and roll. Uh, but uh, uh, we, we started out by um, sharing the first value, which is we live with abundant generosity. We live with abundant generosity. You've heard some of that a little bit this morning from Megan already. But God has been abundantly generous to us, and we're called to be abundantly generous uh, in our city, our nation, right around the world. And then last week, we looked at the second, uh, which was we hunger for the presence of God. There's nothing else in this world that can transform lives like the presence of God. We are in desperate need for the presence of God in our lives. As a church, we hunger for the presence of God. Let me encourage you, join us, find your way. Grab a booklet at the end of the service, 21 Day Challenge. If you haven't jumped in yet, find your way to participate. How can You hit a big reset button at the beginning of this disrupted year. It's been disrupted, right? It's like just when we thought we were getting going, then something else happened, something else. But in the midst of all that, God wants to grab your attention. He wants your heart. He wants to speak to you. And now let me encourage you, grab this. You don't have to lock in to the 21 days. Like We've only got seven days left. You can do seven days of whatever it is you feel like God's calling you to, or you can just start now, whatever, whatever it is. But grab, grab this and, and go to God and say, God, what are you just inviting me? What are the new rhythms and patterns and, and things that you're calling me into so that I can know your presence in a more powerful, more tangible way? We hunger for the presence of God. And this morning, we are looking at the third value, which is we raise tomorrow's leaders. We raise tomorrow's leaders. We raise tomorrow's leaders today. In fact, we must. This is my whole point of this morning is we must raise tomorrow's disciples and tomorrow's leaders. And we must start. We must do it. Today, And the reason I say that and the reason why I say it with urgency is because it's so easy for it not to happen. It's so easy to forget. It's so easy not to invest in the emerging generations. It's such a joy to have some uh, young people in the room, some teenagers here. And uh, this is a message for you to encourage you, but also for you to think about ways in which you can raise the next generation of leaders We need to be reminded because we so easily forget. 
This has been the story of the people of Israel. If we, if we think back and we read through the Bible, we see throughout history that the people of Israel did not pass on their faith to the next generation. If you go right back, we read the story of, of God coming and intervening into the life of the Hebrew people and drawing them out of Egypt. You know the story, right? The Exodus account, Moses comes in, let my people go to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh says no 10 times and finally says yes and uh, lets them go. And they, they go across the Red Sea and then they go to Mount Sinai and God gives them the law. He gives them a whole bunch of ways in which they are to live in relationship with God and relationship with one another. It's for the vitality and life of the community. God gives them the law and then in Deuteronomy he says, impress these laws on your children's heart. Impress these truths, this faith on the next generation's heart. And Moses leads them, and as you know, they, they spend 40 years wandering around the wilderness, and Moses dies, and he hands over to Joshua, who leads them into the promised land. And so they, they, they fight their battles, they take the land, they find themselves in the promised land, and then we get to the book of Judges. We have the book of Joshua, and then Joshua dies. And this is right at the beginning of Judges. Judges chapter 2, verses, I'm going to read verse 10. We read this, after, after Joshua and his generation had died, after that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who, who, uh, who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served Baals, foreign idols. The next generation completely forgot the law that was supposed to be impressed on their hearts. They're in the promised land and they forgot and they went and they worshipped foreign gods. The previous generation had failed to raise up a new generation of disciples, a new generation of leaders. In the midst of the change, in the midst of stepping into a new land, something had been lost. In the change, in the context, in the culture, Something had been lost. And I, I, I want to say that we're in the, that moment as well. We are going through, in our time, in our season, we are going through massive cultural change. And we are seeing tomorrow's leaders leaving the church, not leading the church. In our, our global research that was done in 2019, it was found that the church dropout rate amongst millennials, so those about under the age of 35, the global church dropout rate for those under 35 was 57%. But in Australia, the dropout rate was 71%. 71% of millennials were dropping out of Christian faith. There's a whole bunch of uh, reasons for that. There's a whole bunch of dynamics around that. But what I do want to say is that we have been walking through significant global cultural change. And uh, we are being, we have stepped into a new space, a new digital world. The generations that are coming up underneath us are, are growing up in a digital world. This, this might be your world too. A digital world, a hyper-connected world in many ways, but also a very anxious 
isolated age. The dynamics, the culture in our world, in Australia, we know is changing. In a great book called Faith for Exiles by uh, Kinnaman and Matlock, uh, they, they did a whole bunch of research. They, uh, David Kinnaman works for Barna Research. And um, off the back of a research, this 2019 research, actually, they've written, he's written a book about how to grow resilient disciples in our generation, in our time. Now, let me encourage you, if you want to grab a book and read it, uh, go, go and get that book to understand how we grow resilient disciples. There's going to be a whole bunch of principles I'm going to draw out in this message today to encourage you and help you with this. He, he says this, in this book, they say this, many of us today turn to our devices to help us make sense of the world. Young people, especially, use the screens in their pockets as counsellors, entertainers, instructors, even sex educators. Screens demand our attention. Screens disciple. We've got a whole generation who are being surrounded and discipled by what they absorb, what they consume through their screens. And that has an impact on their lives and it has an impact on how we disciple the next generation. As they go on to say, the number of hours connecting, learning in close-knit church community is now just a drop of water in the ocean of content pouring out on their screens. Now, the, the whole idea of church and faith and community is so minuscule compared to everything else that is being imported and imputed into the hearts, minds, and lives of the next generation. There are idols, there are values, there are worldviews that are being presented all the time. And the next generation, in fact, all of us are being surrounded by it. So part of that change means, and we see this, maybe some of you grieve it. I look and talk to my parents and they, they grieve this, but this is the world that we're in. The church is no longer, in our world, the church is no longer really accepted. The Bible is no longer an authority. And for myself personally, pastors are no longer seen as a, a safe mentor space. You know, I know this because of my own experiences. I often just try not to say what I do just because I get blank stares or I get ignored. This is the world that we're in. Christianity, faith in our secular Australian world is now seen as dangerous. That is the cultural context that we are in. As Matlock and Kinnaman say, we are living in a digital Babylon. We are living in a digital Babylon. It's a post-Christian age. Yet despite all of that, we still live, and the research says that we live in a highly connected, yet highly anxious and insecure age. And so, as we articulate our values, this is something that we, as Gateway, are absolutely committed to. We are committed to raising tomorrow's disciples. We are absolutely committed to raising tomorrow's leaders. We must, we must raise tomorrow's leaders today. And what it requires is all of us, family, friends, parents, grandparents, all playing their part in loving and serving the next generation. 
And I'm going to read a passage which is just a beautiful passage. We find it in 2 Timothy, where Paul, at the end of his life, is pouring out his heart to the next generation. As he writes to Timothy, we get a picture. We see his love, his heart, his intent, and his purpose as he pours his life into the next generation. So if you've got your Bibles with you, I'd love for you to turn to 2 Timothy and I'll be reading from chapter 1. It's right at the beginning of Paul's final recorded letter in Scripture. This is the, the last letter, the last letter that we have in Scripture written from Paul as he writes from prison. 2 Timothy chapter 1, reading from verse 3, the words are going to be on the screen behind me. It's Paul writing, he says, I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice and I am persuaded now lives in you also. For this reason I am reminded... Uh, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of, of God. He has saved us and called us to a holy life. Not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. But it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Saviour, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That is why I am suffering as I am. Yet this is no cause for shame. Because I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. This beautiful letter. Again, you can imagine Paul is in prison as he says, I remember you. I think of you day and night and I'm pouring out. This is, this is my wisdom to you, young Timothy. This is my love for you. And there's just three things I really want to quickly draw out of this that we see see in the words and the character of Paul that we can learn from as we think about our own context today. Firstly, we see that Paul prays passionately. He prays passionately for the next generation. He prays passionately for Timothy. He says, I thank God whom I serve. Uh, As my ancestors did with a clear conscience, as night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. There is a passion in Paul's heart and he prays over Timothy. There's recalling of the tears, there's a personal investment, there's a love, there's an affection. There is a passion for Timothy. You know, I reckon we need to find more passion in the church. We need to find more passion in the church. Why? Passion is powerful because it reveals authenticity. I want you to grab hold of this. Passion is powerful because it reveals authenticity. 
And let me encourage you. Maybe you are sitting here and go, I have no idea how to even talk to the next generation. I don't know how to connect to the next generation. They scare me. You know, they, they, they live on a different planet. They know how to use these digital devices. I don't even know. Whatever it is, I don't think I can relate to them. Let me tell you this. I, I want to encourage you. Passion is powerful because it reveals authenticity. And everybody loves authenticity. The next generation long for authentic relationship. It's the buzzword. And it doesn't, it doesn't matter how old you are or irrelevant you are. If you're passionate, if you, if, you, if you believe what you believe and if you're passionate for other people, everyone will respond. The younger genera- generation want to see passion. They will respond to authenticity. I remember growing up, I, I, I went to a small Baptist church as a teenager over on the Bayside and, and there was this youth leader. He used to, a guy called David Butcher. He was huge and he was mad as a cut snake. He was absolutely bonkers. I remember he, he would tell us that we, we used to get these uh, fluoro stickers as prizes, you know, as you do when you're younger. And he said, if you rub vegetables on it, it will glow in the dark. I have no idea why he told us that. Uh, and I don't even know how he thought that. But I just, one of, the only, one of the things I remember is he just would say, here's your prize. If you rub vegetables on it, it will glow in the dark. I, the, completely random. He was crazy. But he was passionate. He was passionate. He was passionate about football. He loved rugby league. He was passionate about food. He was a big unit. He loved his food. He was passionate about fun. He made our youth group a lot of fun. But most importantly, he was passionate about his faith. He was passionate about Jesus. And even though there were a whole bunch of things I didn't, I was very different to, to David Butcher. His passion, his love for God and his love for others won me over, won many over. Even though I was walking through a really difficult season in life, you know, as, as you do when you're a young teenager, his faith, his passion, his authenticity ministered and spoke and encouraged me. You know, we need more passionate people, authentic people. We need more people in the church who are passionate about life and about passionate about their faith. And let me tell you, I've seen it over and over and over again. Passionate, authentic people will draw in people of every age. And Paul is passionate. He pours out his passion to Timothy. He says, not only am I passionate for you, but, but, but I'm praying for you. There's a passion in my prayers. I think about you day and night. And here's the thing. There is something about prayer. If you want to grow in passion, start praying. Because there is something about prayer that builds and grows our passion. Prayer draws our focus. Prayer creates space for God to speak to our heart, to encourage us and stir us. And prayer helps us become more aware of God's heart, his passion, his desire, and his love. And here's the thing. When we pray for the next generation, our passion for the next generation will grow. Parents, grandparents, pray for your children and your grandchildren. Because as you do, your passion, your love, your focus and your heart will grow for them. See, what we focus on 
we invest in. And when we sit and we pray for the next generation, we naturally are orienting our hearts, our minds, and our lives to that generation. You pray for your kids. You spend time praying for your kids. And this is a challenge for me and for Megan. So we, we need to pray for our kids because as we pray for them, God begins to speak to us about them. God begins to stir in our hearts ideas and dreams for them. For the people that you lead in the workplace or where you're teaching, whatever you're doing, your vocation, find those people and pray for them because as you do, your focus and your passion will grow for them. I'm so thankful for people who have prayed for me, who have prayed over me. Aren't we we just thankful for praying grandparents, praying grandmothers? They're incredible. And, and, And Paul Paul, here he goes, Timothy, I want to remind you, you had a praying grandmother and you had a praying mother. Your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, two great names, prayed for you, Timothy. They passed on their faith to you. Now, I'm so thankful for grandparents in my life who have prayed for me. You know, my, my grandmother on my mum's side, Marion Lean, she was an incredible woman. I remember as a young person, we'd go and stay at their house at Redcliffe and, uh, and they would regularly have young adults over just for worship and prayer. They would speak purpose and life into the next generation. They created space for young people to understand the call of God on their life, even though they were much older. They just gathered people into their home. And I know that my grandmother, that's Olivia there, my grandmother, she's now passed away. She passed away just before we returned from England. We missed her funeral by a couple of months. Uh, we had the joy of just Megan and I hosting um, my grandma in London uh, a few years beforehand, which was such a joy to just walk her around London and show her the sights. But I knew that she prayed for me every day. I, I, I left my letter at home, but I've got one of the last letters that she wrote to Megan and I. Last line, Andrew. We pray for you every day. We pray for you every day. I'm so thankful for grandparents who have prayed over me and given me a role model and shown me what it means to live in the presence of God. Now, I know that some of you are sitting here and that hasn't been your story. You haven't had grandparents or parents who have prayed over your life. And whilst that may, that, there may be some regret there, here's the good news you get to be that grandparent or you get to be that parent or you get to be that mentor or that teacher or that life group leader or that youth leader, whatever it is that God has gifted you with. Now is your opportunity to be that person, to be that praying person. Paul prayed passionately for Timothy to raise the next generation and God calls us to pray passionately for the next generation. The second thing that we see with, with Paul here is that he passes on faith to the next generation. You know, he celebrates the fact that Lois and Eunice have passed on the faith. He says, Timothy, the faith that they had is now in you and I'm also putting my faith in you. Faith must be passed on. Sometimes we just think that faith just comes by osmosis. Well, because I am a person of faith, then those underneath me will also naturally become a faith. It's wrong. As I said before, 
The next generation is being discipled whether we like it or not. And the amount of worldview and values that are coming through screens, through media and through other places mean that they are being discipled whether you like it or not. It just depends on who or what is discipling them. We need to be intentional to pass on faith to the next generation. And Paul does this in two ways, as we see here. Firstly, he models it. And secondly, he teaches it. He invites Timothy in, a little bit like the Jesus model, he invites Timothy into his life. We read there the, the, the kind of the, the first connection in Acts chapter 16. Let me just read this, uh, this short story of how they met. In Acts 16, we read this. Paul came to Derby and then to Lystra, where the disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. The believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him. That's not how we invite leaders in this day, but... Uh, um, <laughs> Back then, why? Well, there's a reason, because of the Jews who lived in that area. It was a missional purpose, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. So the churches were strengthened in faith and grew daily in numbers. I just want to point out some things that Paul does here. Paul, firstly, he invites him into the mission. He says, Timothy... Other people have said good things about you. They've noticed you. I am going to invite you into my life. Will you come with me? Come and follow, as Jesus did with the disciples. Come. There was an intentional invitation. I want to pause there and just say there is something powerful about invitation. You may, you may not think that it's powerful. But if you see someone else, and again, this is not just church, workplace, wherever, and you say, hey, listen, I'd love to mentor you. I want to invite you in. I'd love to give my life to you. I want you to come with me. That is powerful. It's powerful. Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, I want you to come with me. I want you to follow me. I want you to learn. And so we see that Timothy travels with Paul, spends time with Paul, does life with Paul, watching him, learning from him. But it's not just traveling with him. They minister together. It's interesting that we read in verse 4, Firstly, Paul goes out, but in verse 4, and Paul has been ministering, but in verse 4 we see, as they travelled from town to town, they delivered the decisions. It's not Paul delivered decisions, it's Paul and Timothy now doing it together. And it's really interesting that not only did they minister together, but they actually wrote together. Now, now when we read Colossians, we think that it's a letter from Paul to the church in Colossae. But actually, it's not just Paul. We read in, uh, in verse 1 of Colossians chapter 1, we see Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. So we've got Timothy here who's contributing to the ministry of Paul and contributing to his writing. See, here's the thing. Faith is and must be modeled. Faith is modeled. Now, the next generation are not just interested in words. They will watch. Again, they are all about authenticity. They want to see a life lived. Don't we all want that? We don't, we don't we want, to, we want to see hypocrisy. But there is something about a life modeled that draws in, that, 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 that builds and grows. 
Paul models a life, but then he also instructs. I love this. I love as he as he's writing to Timothy, this is his last letter. He wants to remind him again of the gospel. We read in verse 9, as he's, he's pouring out his heart and his affection to Timothy, he goes, Hang on, just remember this. He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Saviour Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Paul continually reminds Timothy of the gospel. Hey, Timothy, remember, remember death has been defeated through Christ. Remember that you have been given eternal life. Remember that God has given you purpose all through the gospel. And I can imagine Timothy is reading it going, I know, I did spend a lot of years with you. I heard you preach. I know you've told me. Paul's saying, don't forget in everything that you're doing, don't forget the gospel. We need to have the gospel deep in our hearts if we're going to raise the next generation of leaders and we need to keep preaching it. Keep preaching the gospel. The truth of the gospel is simple, deep and profound and it is easily forgotten. Let us not be like Israel who forgot to preach the gospel to the next generation, to the next generation, to the next generation, to the next generation. Paul feels compelled in his final letter to Timothy to to continue to preach and remind him of the truth of the gospel. That death has been defeated, that you have been set free, that there is eternal life, that God has called you. Let's keep preaching the gospel. Paul prays passionately. Paul passes on the faith through modeling and through teaching. And thirdly, Paul provides purpose, reminds Timothy of the purpose. We need to provide purpose for the next generation, to give the next generation, the next generation of leaders something to aim for, something to focus on, something to go for. We need to provide purpose to the next generation. Paul writes this, he says, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit that God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Let me just give you a bit of context. Timothy had walked with Paul. He had spent time with Paul. He'd grown up as a leader with Paul. And then Paul sent Timothy to the church in Ephesus. In fact, by that time, the church had grown. There were multiple churches meeting all around the city of Ephesus. And Timothy was sent by Paul to go and be the pastor of all those churches. In fact, some some might say that he was a bishop, a leader of all these churches in that area. And if you read uh, Timothy, uh, 1 and 2 Timothy, you see that that Timothy is having a hard time of it. There's resistance. There are people who are coming against him. There's a whole bunch of challenges that he has in his leadership. And you can imagine that Timothy, stepping out into his first role uh, by himself, is beginning to doubt himself as others begin to undermine doctrine. 
begin to worry about whether he's actually got what it takes, whether he really is a leader. And Paul writes to him, says, Timothy, keep going. God has called. Hey, Timothy, just remember, remember that when, we, when I laid hands on you, there was a gift in you that, that came out. There were gifts as we pray for you. The Spirit of God has given you gifts. He has poured his anointing. Timothy, you have been called to this task. So do not live with a spirit of fear and timidity, but live with power, love, and self-discipline. Timothy, you can do it. Timothy, you can do this. Timothy, you have a purpose. You have a call. I'm speaking it out. I'm encouraging. I'm calling it out in your life. Timothy, you have a gift. You know, I'm so glad and so grateful that there have been people in my life that have called that gift out in me. Come on, just for a moment. I'm sure that you've got people right now that have called out gifts in you. People when you were at a, such a critical moment in your, maybe your spiritual walk, perhaps something at work, People have come alongside you when you were doubting yourself, when you weren't sure whether you had what it takes and everyone asked that question, right? We all have those doubts. And someone came along and said, you know what? You've got something. Keep going. They've spoken life. They've given you opportunities. And we need to do that in the church as well. I'm so grateful for the people that have come alongside me over the course of my life, both in my workplace and also in church, they've just drawn out and spoken life into me. I remember when I was a young worship leader, I, I, uh, I left school and uh, I thought I was... I, I, so my story was I was taught piano when I was, uh, when I was a kid. Anyone else have to endure being taught piano? Well, I'm, I'm sure it was a blessing for many of you. I, I, last, I lasted four years. I was taught by the, the Baptist pastor's wife of that same church. And bless her soul, it was, it was purgatory. Uh, it, was, it was torture. I hated it. It was, it was horrible. And I was no good. And I hate going to the exams. And it was just, it was just horrible. It was, and I was so glad when I got to go. Now, I'm, you know, if you, we need to encourage our kids to, to learn instruments. But, but it just wasn't for me. And I remember going through church and we would sing songs. And there were the, the big song at the time was Shine, Jesus, Shine. Anyone, anyone remember Shine, Jesus, Shine? An amazing, anointed Graham Kendrick song. But I couldn't sing it because my register wasn't high enough. I just could not sing. So I grew up. Going to school thinking, oh, I just, I'm no good at music. I'm not interested in music. I can't do it. I love watching, I love music. I love watching other people play music, but I couldn't do it. And something happened in my first year out of school. I, I ended up being a youth leader at, at a church that we were at, and they had no music. And, and so I, I realized we just needed to be great to have some music. And so I remember I was, I was first year uni, so I had three contact hours a week and uh, just twiddling my thumbs. And uh, as it turned out, I failed more subjects than I passed in that first year anyway. But I learned how to play guitar. I remember sitting, I remember sitting on my bed with an old nylon string guitar and saying to God, God, 
I don't want to be a good musician. I don't want, I want to be able to play. I just, we just need some music for this youth group. God, if you just help me. And I remember sitting and just the Spirit of God just coming on me as I just banged away at the back of the yellow book that just had all the chord charts and then going and beginning to, to sing and lead worship at, at my youth group and then just being a play guitar in the church. Remember a few years later, just God continued to, to grow my passion, but I didn't think still that I was that good. I remember amazingly being invited to play guitar at Gateway Baptist Church, Mackenzie night. I mean, it's a big church, a big building. And, uh, and I remember standing, standing right in the back, just, just playing my guitar. And then they, then they kind of shuffled a, a microphone in front of me. And again, they just put it in front of me. I'm sure it wasn't on, uh, but they just, they just wanted to encourage me. <laughs> I remember, I just, how, sorry, it's just inside secrets to how things work. <laughs> I remember the music director at the time, she came up to me after a service and she said, Andrew, you've got a lovely voice. Hey, you can actually sing and, and you can play guitar good. We'd love to just encourage you and see, maybe, maybe you could lead worship here sometime. And I remember just being blown away and then, and then taking the, the next steps and a few months later, having the opportunity to lead worship there at Gateway on a Sunday night service. And uh, that's a little bit later, actually. That's a few years later after leading at Gateway, being in Africa, and I couldn't find any photos, but that's me leading worship in front of a couple of thousand people in Uganda. I'll get to that. Yeah, it's Adam and Rachel there for later. I remember leading worship that first time, and I've got to tell you, it was horrific. It was terrible. I remember, I remember getting on stage behind where, you know, sorry, Hamish, for a moment. I was, I was, I was standing behind and I was leading a, a team like this and we didn't have PJ. If I'd had PJ, we would have been okay. Uh, but we didn't. Didn't have a music director and I was leading a song and I thought it was going really well. I was halfway through the set and I called out the wrong words to the song and the whole band got confused. And it was one of those just train crash moments where every musician just slowly just stepped back and stopped playing until it was just me on the guitar and the drummer and then the drummer just kind of just fizzled out and stopped playing. So here I am just singing, trying to keep it. It was horrific. I, I, I remember dragging myself off during the meet and greet and, and the senior worship leader coming down and just sitting next to me and said, Andrew, God's called you. Keep going. It's all good. Those voices that stirred and called out to me were a gift. They enabled and they strengthened me in times of fear and timidity. They wouldn't have known that, you know, worship would become a thing that I would do full time, that I would travel the world and spend time in other continents, leading worship in front of thousands of people, ministering and seeing lives touched and ministered by the Holy Spirit. But it was just some words of speaking life and affirmation and encouragement. We've all got that gift. We can all give encouragement. We can all see a younger leader and say, hey, there is something about you I want to breathe in. I want to encourage. Paul did it with Timothy. And as Timothy grew up, he ended up leading a significant church in one of the first churches to be planted in the universe. We are called to give purpose. I, 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 I want to say this. 
I don't know how you see the next generation. I know that in this generational shift, sometimes it can feel a bit scary. But now more than ever, we need older generations to be speaking purpose into younger generations, getting in their face, revealing your passion for them, inviting them into your story and into your life and speaking words of purpose because the emerging generations are desperately seeking it. And I suggest that they don't know where to find it. And let me tell you, it's not found on TikTok. It's not found on Facebook. It's not found on Instagram. It's found in real life connection. That is the gift that every one of us can give. Wherever you are situated, wherever you are, wherever you are located, find those people that you can invest in. Let us be that church. Let us be a church that that holds tight to this value, that we are a church that raises tomorrow's disciples, that we are a church that raises tomorrow's leaders. There is hope. God has called us. And as we do it, I believe that we will be a church that raises the next generation of Christ-centered leaders to be disciples not just here, leaders not just here in this city, leaders not just here in this nation, but in the nations of the world. That's the power that we have. That's the gift that we have. That's a value that we want to carry as a church. And I trust and I pray that you will get excited about that. In a moment, I've asked Hannah to bring in all our kids and our youth leaders and those who are serving. And I know there are some here who are part of that. I'm going to get you to do that in a minute. They're going to stand around and we're going to symbolically pray for them. But before we do that, here's what I'd love us to do. I'd love us to pause for a moment. And I want you just to close your eyes and before God to say, God, or just pray and say, God, who are the people that you've placed in my hands? Who are the people that I can be appalled to? Who are the people that I can be praying passionately? And maybe that's all you can do right now is just pray passionately for them. Just pray for them. I, I know the reality is that our stories will have people, we'll have kids, we'll have grandkids, whatever it is that, that we just long for, we pray for. And bring them before God. And maybe that's all you can do right now is pray passionately. Maybe there's an action, there's a next step that you need to take. Off the back of this, a text that you need to send, an invitation that you need to send an encouragement that you need to send. So let's pause. The band are going to sing over us as you do that. And when you're ready, I'm just going to invite you to stand. Invite you to stand where you are and just continue to worship. And maybe you want to lift your voice in praise, in in prayer, I should say. Pray for that person, however you want to respond. So the band is going to lead us in worship. Sit. Sit with God. Allow Him to speak to your heart. Allow Him to encourage your heart. Allow Him to drop those names. Merging generation into your heart, whatever capacity you are investing in them. And when you're ready, when you're ready, just begin to stand and join in worship and praise and and, and prayer uh, for those people. Come on. We hope you've been blessed by this message. We are a growing family and we'd love to see you at one of our Sunday services because everyone who comes through our doors is welcome. You can find out more about our community and locations at gatewaybaptist.com.au.